Crank up the volume and get ready for real-world bird hunting by listening to the Wingman Podcast by Eastman's. Now your host, Todd Helms. All right, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Eastman's Wingman Podcast. And today I have Josh Miller from Riverstone Kennels out in Wisconsin. Josh, man, how's it going? Thanks for being on. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, we were chatting a minute ago before we fired this up. What do you got going on out there? You bet, man. No, well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I keep up with what you guys are doing. I think you're doing a great job. Um, Thank you. Yeah, man, it, it's, uh, it's kind of that crazy time of year for us over here. You know, we have a lot of dogs that are going home. Uh, a lot of dogs have been with us all summer long. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of what I kind of call the, the, uh, the most difficult part of the job, which is uh, training the owners. Um, huh. Yeah, I, I, I jokingly say it, but I'm very serious that it, it's, it really is. It's, it's, it's easier to train the dogs than it is the people at times. And I don't mean that as in like they're bad people. I mean that is as in people are just very set in their ways, you know, and it's, it's sometimes it's hard to retrain um, you know, someone's brain versus, um, you know, a dog that wants to learn from you and wants to go work, um, is just a little different mindset sometimes. So, um, so yeah, it, it's, uh, this week, let's see. So last week we had clients in from, uh, Tennessee, Montana and British Columbia. This week we've had clients in from Iowa, Illinois, and New York. Uh, next week we have Montana and um texas and yeah it's it's uh i love it because um ultimately it's the relationships right i mean some of my closest friends have come from the dogs um and it's pretty cool that dogs can connect us and that and that sort of um an impact but at the same time man it uh it really really kind of grinds on me um as far as you know the days because you know so when clients are in, I always try to go above and beyond to spend as much time with them as possible. So we spend a lot of time, you know, working, you know, with them and their dog. Um, they handle a lot of my dogs because, um, you know, it's just more repetition and practice for them. Um, and so then on top of that, you know, we try to do stuff, uh, you know, in the, in the evening. So whether that's, I take the musky fishing and we go to dinner or we do, you know, who knows what, um, it, it gets to be where there's a lot of entertaining. So like uh, the last guy that was here, we had dinner and I didn't get back to the house from dinner uh, from in town with him until like 1030 at night. Um, well, he was going to be back at the kennel at eight so we could cont continue his training. Well, that means that I had to get all my stuff done before that. So it means I get, I roll up to the kennel at quarter to four so that I can get all my stuff done before he gets there and have that whole day over again. And then again, don't get done until you know 10 30 11 o'clock at night and uh so it's uh that's the only part that that gets uh gets tough with me um and then of course then you know we roll right into uh waterfall season which uh is you know a lot of those early alarm clocks and everything like that but it's uh it, it it's awesome man like i i feel like if that's the biggest thing i have to complain about i have it pretty dang good <laughs> yeah yeah i hear you it's the life of a life of a dog guy right but that's that's interesting. I never thought of that, and I don't. I don't think a lot of people probably do think of that as coming at it from that perspective as a trainer. Where if you're working, especially one on one with people, man, you could have some really long days involved. Like you said, there's a lot of extra stuff that goes into it. 
Well, and I think the uh, one of the things that's really missed is, you know, for us as a business, um, I mean, we, we run it as a business, right? We have to. And so the business side of things, it really ends up being um, the majority of the work when you consider um, not only your know, business as far as like running the business and you know the, the books and the numbers and the communication and everything else, um, but then you, you talk about just simply the care of the dogs, whether it's you know the chores we have, whether it's exercise time, whether it's cleaning, whether it's baths, whether it's all the stuff. I mean, there's a lot going on. And uh, for us here at the kennel, you know, we usually have uh, 40 dogs here. Um, that's not that's just training dogs. They're not including um, you know my personal eight dogs that I have that of course I'll need the time and, and the care. Um, and then puppies, which is a whole nother level because you know, we usually have about 12, uh, 12 litters of puppies every year. And, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it is, it really is, it's the best job in the world. Um, but it is so much more than, uh, you know, just getting to play with dogs and puppies all day. Oh yeah. No kidding. I mean, anybody that's owned more than one dog at a time can just get an idea, a faint idea of what it is to take care of multiple dogs. Let it, and then you multiply that times 10, you know, and, and you've got, you're starting to approach where, where, where you're at. And my goodness, like you said, just their daily needs. Is it, is it just you running the show down there? Or do you have some people helping you out? No. So we've kind of evolved. You know, so I started the kennel um, about 10 years ago. And before that um, I did what I believed I had to do, which was your know, mentor under a number of different people really understand, um, you know, the whys and the hows and, and really as much knowledge as I could get, because very early on, uh, in this game for me, I realized that there was a lot of rollover as far as people in and out of this profession. And there were two things that I noticed, um, from the people that would come in and out, which was one, um, they didn't run their businesses as businesses. Um, and so you could be very talented with dogs, but at the end of the day, um, you have to have a business side. I mean, you have to, to have the business. Um, but then two is I noticed a lot of people that weren't being successful, in my opinion, had one way of doing things, right? They learned from one person or they're successful with one dog and they tried to force that one way down every dog's throat and it just wasn't working. And so um, so I, I went and I mentored under as many different people as I could. Uh, some people who, I mean, I consider some of the best yeah, in the country and, uh, and really kind of molded my program accordingly. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of things I learned that I love. There's a lot of things I learned that I didn't like, um, but it was all that experience that kind of led me you know, to this. And so when I first started the kennel, it's funny, I, I kind of like to tell the story because um, it kind of, I think it shows where I started. I mean, I had uh, I had, uh, I just purchased my first house. I just, you know, it was, you know, this, you know, little house with this, you know, pole shed that I kind of makeshifted into, you know, the kennel. And, um, I didn't have, I mean, I didn't have anything. I didn't have the money to purchase the kennels to put up so I could, you know, get dogs in. And so there was a guy who, uh, is, is probably one of my closest, um, you know, mentors, um, named Rick Grant and Rick was down in Southern Wisconsin. And uh, Rick called me one day. And it's just kind of funny how how things line up, you know. And he didn't know I was struggling um, you, to get things started the way I was. But he called me out of the blue, and he's like, "Hey, man, like, I want you to know that that I really believe in you, and 
what I would like to do is I would like to give you, um, I have uh, eight outdoor kind of runs. He's like, they're beat up, they're rusty, they're everything else. But if you want them, you can have them. So I couldn't borrow a trailer fast enough. I, I you know, loaded up. I went down there, um, you know, put these, you know, these kennels in uh, on the trailer, drove back up to my house, which is about a five hour, six hour drive, um, get up, put all these kennels up. And I was literally to the point that I had a file and was filing every piece of chain link to shine it back up and make it look as, as nice as I could. And, uh, by, by the time I was done with it, you know, I was mentally and physically exhausted. I, I'm kind of stepping back, looking at this this thing. And uh, Whitney, who's now my wife, uh, comes in, and she's like, "What are you looking at?" And I'm like, "What? How are we ever going to get, you know, six dogs in for training?" And uh, you know, it, back then it was it was kind of uh, you know like how how do you right? And so what I did is I got with everybody that I had mentored on. I said, "Hey, if you have dogs you don't want, like they're complete." you know, pains, like you don't think this worth the time, like I want them. And uh, so it was, it was very interesting. Uh, the show was, was uh, my own. So my routine was I would get up uh, before uh, dark or before light usually, get my chores done. I would train throughout the day. Usually in the afternoons is when I would have appointments or I'd communicate, you know, phone calls, emails, all that kind of stuff. I'd do afternoon chores. And then uh, after dark, I would go and I would catch pigeons. Um, you know, I'd just at night was the best way to catch them out back sure. then. And uh, I'd go into these barns with my headlamp and my big net, and I'd go catch pigeons so that I had birds for the next day to train with. You were talking about growing, growing your business, starting with hand-me-down kennels, and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get dogs to train. You're talking to your your then girlfriend, now wife, and uh, next thing you know, you're winning championships with a slate of dogs that nobody really wanted. You kind of took people's trouble dogs, people's leftover dogs that kind of castaways and you turned them into something and build a name for yourself doing that to the point where now you, you said something about you've got like nine employees working for you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we have nine employees. We have uh, one of those is full time. You know, Dave's been, been working for me now for, I think seven seven years or so uh i have a number of those kids uh or i'm sure they're not kids anymore they're you know, in college or, or getting out of college so um and i've got some high school kids and i really really am big on um getting great high school kids you know, in with us uh for a number of reasons one it's the way that i can see that i can give back to the sport that is given to me i mean it you know the outdoors and uh, and the dog space I mean, it's literally given me my livelihood and uh so uh, like the last group of kids that I had in, I, I like to get them in um, as juniors because usually at juniors, like they're old enough to be mature and handle responsibility, uh, but they're they're young enough where I get a couple of years with them to really work with them. And uh, so like the last five kids that I brought in, not one of them was an outdoors, you know, man or women or woman. So I had two boys and three girls. And by the end of it, by the end of the two years that they had with me, um, Two of them were running dogs and hunt tests. I had, um, you know, another one that what he wanted to do for his last day uh, was uh, go on a pigeon hunt, you know, with me, just uh, kind of hang out and do that. Um, it's it's just it's so cool, man. It's like it's to me, it's it's a way that I can get these, you know, the new kids, which of course we all desperately want to get involved, um, and the dogs are really what help gain, you know, really build an interest in it for them. And so uh, I kind of have a mixture 
of uh, of employees that way. But yeah, it's it's turned into something um, pretty special, and I'm really really proud uh, of the team that I've built around here. Man, no kidding. We're always talking about you know everybody in the hunting industry, whether it's waterfowl, upland, small game, big game, predator, whatever. We're always talking about we need to recruit that younger, that next generation. We need to be recruiting our replacement, basically. Mm-hmm. And you're doing it, and you're doing it through your kennel. And I, yeah, I admire that. That's really cool. Yeah, thank you. Well, and it's it's uh everybody has you know their own avenue that they can kind of you know, navigate, right? And that's mine. Um, you know, I can, and I can leverage the dogs, right? So all the the specifically the kids that come in, they all gravitate towards a certain dog, right? And so I want them to you know learn how to handle that dog and learn how to work with that dog. And then all of a sudden, it's like I love this dog so much, I want to see what he loves to do, and it gets them interested and involved. And you know, to me, it's so much. You know, they're making the choice that they want to go do it. It's not me saying, hey, this is a requirement for the job. You have to go do it. And they all do it at their own pace and in their own time. Um, but and, and I'm not saying that every one of the kids that comes through my uh, my program here is going to go, you know, go waterfall hunt 30 days a year, whatever it is. But I can promise you that they are all going to be dog owners and they're all going to be active in the outdoors, which at the end of the day is a great first step um, you know, for for all of us to keep this sport alive. Yeah, no, you're no kidding. Uh, I did our podcast this morning, actually, with Clay Hudnall, and one of the things we talked about was um, families and getting kids involved, getting our own kids involved. And he and I both have kids about the same age and taking them out and getting them involved in things and doing stuff with them, talking about, you know, you don't necessarily want to force stuff on on them, but – as long as they're in my house, they're not really going to have a choice. They're going to be involved. And one of the guys I work with here, that's his philosophy. He's got four kids. They're all hunting age. And he's like, they don't have a choice. They're going with me because as long as they live under my roof, they're going to be part of this. And then when they get older later, they can decide whether or not they want to continue to do this, but they're going to have an understanding of and, and a respect for the North American model of wildlife conservation. And they're going to understand how, how uh, game and fish agencies are funded. And they're going to understand how projects get done and how, why we even have wildlife on the landscape in the first place, which a lot of kids, if they don't have that connection to something, whether it's through the dogs, like you're saying, or out here a lot of time, it's a big game, you know, it's, you've got to get that you've got to get that somewhere and you're doing it with dogs and well i mean how how much easier is it for kids to connect with dogs i mean it doesn't get much better you throw you throw a lab at somebody and you know i was i don't know how many people i've i've told this to but i think i think if we all treated each other like labs treat people the world would be a lot better place you know yeah you're not kidding (laughs) (laughs) But, oh, my goodness. But so you guys are in New Richmond, Wisconsin, and that's that's about halfway, roughly kind of between Eau Claire and and the Twin Cities, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we're not too far. Um, we're only you know, 12, 13 miles in from, uh, you know, from the you know, St. Croix River. Um, you know, we, we love this, you know, this area. We have a little bit of everything here as far as, um, you know, we've got 
you know, we've got a great, you know, Canada goose season. Uh, we have, you know, some ducks, you know, not, not to my liking, of course, there could always be more ducks. Sure. Um, yeah, but we have like, you know, you know, obviously a whitetail, we have rough grouse, we have woodcock, we have you know, a lot going on here. Um, but we, what we have found is that we have a great area for training. Uh, up here, we have great weather. Uh, the, it doesn't get crazy hot. Like we have a lot of, uh, of clients come from, you know, Texas or down south, they fly their dogs up. Um, and you're just from all over the place. And we just have a great you know, year. Most of our summer is you know, 75, 80 degrees, you know, and so we can train for a lot of the day and be as productive as we can. Um, but, you know, I kind of mentioned there that, you know, we have a lot of dogs come from down south. And what's really cool to me is, and we kind of talked very early on about um, out-of-state clients coming in and spending time, you know, with me right. training them. But what's been really fun for me is watching that kind of evolve, you know. So we talked about, like, really early on when I started, a lot of those dogs were coming from, you know, the Twin Cities, you know, so very local. Um, and as, as things evolved um, and my reputation grew and, you know, the, what we we're doing with dogs, you know, got out there and word of mouth spread. It's, it's interesting to see how things change. So of the dogs that are in the kennel, uh, so we have 40 dogs uh, in the kennel right now. Um, I would bet almost 30 of them. Um, I bet almost 30 of them, if not more, were either flown in or drove in from, you know, 10 plus hours yeah, out. Wow. And uh, it's, it's really cool. But what then was kind of challenging in a good way for me is that how differently each of those dogs end up being used. So like the, the guy that was up in, in British Columbia, uh, he does a lot of, uh, they have a lot of hunts and sharp tails and he's, he's going to do a lot of uh, upland hunting you know, with his dog where a lot of my Texas clients, like their big thing is dove season right? So sure. how they're going to hunt. Um, then like I have a duck camp in Arkansas. And so we have, uh, you know, some friends that way, like those are obviously, you know, duck nuts. And it's like, we all have labs, but we all use them in different ways and all have, um, you know, different ways that we hunt. And so there's a base as far as like, here's what a, a lab should do. Right. And I get that done with everybody, but then to really prepare the dogs the best that I can, I need to try to situationally prepare them for, are you in and out of a blind? Are you sitting by me on a bucket? Are you quartering out in front of me? Are you, you know, so that they're you know, better prepared to go home. And so yeah, it is kind of fun to get inside and really talk with these guys and gals about, okay, how is it that you hunt and how can I best prepare Duke here to go home and hunt with you? Um, so that's a lot of fun. Yeah, that is, that's pretty cool. You talk about how versatile labs are in, in that, and dogs in general, but you know we're we're talking Labradors at, at at the moment, you know. And you're talking about some of that the southern stuff, and talking to guys down there that train. You know, I, I was talking to Barton Ramsey oh, a few weeks back, and he was talking about how hot it was, and how he can't get anything done after about six o'clock or seven o'clock in the morning, practically. And that's night and day different than what you're talking about, where, man, you you're in you know, central, north central Wisconsin, and you can train on the right days, you can train all day. Yeah, and yeah. I grew up north of you. I grew up north of you up in the uh, upper peninsula of Michigan and can remember the same things. I mean, you could run a dog. I mean, there's a few days that it gets pretty hot, but I mean, man, your mornings, you've got a long time that you can work dogs. Yeah, well, and what's cool about that, because obviously there's a trade-off, right? Because 
our winters up here are awful, right? <laughs> it is not fun. Yep. But <coughs> that's when I go to Arkansas. So it's there like you a go. complete win-win for me. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it ends up being a great uh, a great trade-off um, you know, that, that we have. And our training season, like I said, we, we can just be so productive that uh, it does make it very enjoyable uh, to be out there. Well, I think it's amazing that what you're talking about, about how you're, you're, you're tailoring training with dogs for how a client's going to use it. It's not a one-size-fits-all program. It's not a one-size. It's a, okay, this, is, this dog is going to spend the majority of his time upland hunting, so we need to focus really hard on, you know, the dog needs to know how to quarter, needs to know how to take hand signals really well. You know, I don't know exactly what your program entails there, but then you turn it around, you got a, got a dog that's in a dove field, and it's going to sit there for hours on end, you know, making, making retrieves, but it's going to turn and come back and be steady by a bucket. Like you mm-hmm. said, I think about, I think about my dog here and all the things I ask him to do every fall. I mean, it ranges from upland birds, like tomorrow I'm loading the family up and we're going to go chase sage grouse around. Mm-hmm. And he's got a, he's got a quarter. He's got to hunt into the wind. He's got to do all those things and, and retrieve, you know, and, then in a few weeks, I'm going to ask him to sit still next to me in a duck blind, you know, mm-hmm. or in a, or in a, or in a A-frame in some, in a cornfield for geese, you know, and then, I, and then I might take him on a, on a elk hunting trip where he's got to be my grizzly bear early warning system. You know, mm-hmm. it's amazing all the different things. I think it's cool that you understand that and that you work with those people because, and I think that's probably a lot of how you've attained your success is it's not a cookie cutter. You know, they're all, it's all different. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with, you know, with that. I, I do think it's one of the things that has made us so successful. Um, you know, the other thing that, that I think um, makes us successful is our approach. Um, so, you know, I, I trained with a lot of old school guys and it was mm-hmm. a dog is a dog, make them do it. Right. Well, I believe that the dog of today is different, much different than the dog of 20, 30 years ago. And I just don't think you can have that approach and be successful across the board anymore like you may have once been able to. Um, You know, like I remember my grandpa had a dog, big chocolate lab named Warden. And I remember as a kid, my grandpa saying, don't you don't go outside and play with Warden because he's a hunting dog and you're going to screw him up. Again, that's what I thought, right? Like, okay, Warden lives outside. That's his deal. Right. Hunting dog. Well, fast forward to today, my grandpa has a dog that lays in bed with him at night. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just like it, it, it's it's so different. But you know, so again, in the kennel, you know, we have a, a full kennel from dogs all over the country. Not one single dog that's in there is a hunting dog first and family dog second. Every single dog is a family member first and a hunting dog second. I'm talking about every single one of my dogs that I'm working with. And so because of that, we need to have the correct approach. If we went into each one of these dogs and said, hey, this is how it's going to work or else, and we just hammered on them and forced them through it, what would happen is we would be giving dogs back to owners that they wouldn't even recognize that dog, right? In a lot of cases, because we've brought it into them and we've made them do it. The one thing, and I love this comment, it is amazing how many people come see their dogs and the first thing that they tell us is, oh, my gosh, this is the same bow that I, that I left. And they're so happy about that. But nice. a lot of these, a lot of my clients, you know, they, they, you know, had previous dogs with 
maybe other people and they didn't have that. And so it's, it's incredible how, how that is one of the first things that they pick up on and it shows you the priorities, right? Like even if you hunt your dog a lot, your dog is likely still a part of your family first and a hunting dog second. You know, like for me, I waterfall hunted, just waterfall hunted. I waterfall hunted 92 days last year. But I can tell you that my dogs are part of my family first and hunting dog second. And so I, I think just the culture of how things have changed, naturally, you have breeders that are breeding a different dog, right? Because nobody wants that that hard-headed moose that is is in the house that fights you on everything that is like in his own world that doesn't care about you right like people want that dog that's gonna you know lay at your feet or on the couch with you and watch a movie but then hey when we go out to work like let's go work right and that's yep. a very that's a tough thing to achieve yep. but when you're breeding for that softer temperament your approach as a trainer has to change you cannot just hammer dogs through this thing and at least not to get the best results so um so i I really think that that's a big part of what we have going on as well that's interesting you say that it's that people's needs and wants out of a dog have have changed and so the dog dogs have changed to to accommodate that and but of that old school breeding, that old school training mentality has to change to get, like you said, to get the most out of that dog. I, I, I read, you just told a story. I believe it was in the latest issue of outdoor life about your grandpa and warden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I read that as soon as you started that, I went, I just read that. <laughs> that's cool, man. That's yeah. a great, that's a great story, but it's so spot on. I remember the dog I have now, when I picked him up, um, the breeder, the breeder I got him from is, has since sold that kennel and, and retired. But I remember when I went there, I had, I had a deposit, thought I had a deposit and it may have worked out that way on a different dog. And once we got, once I got there and I got talking, the, the, the gentleman said, you know what, this, you don't want a puppy out of this litter. You want a puppy out of this litter. Cause I was telling him about, you know, what I, what I was looking for in a dog and what my lifestyle was and kind of what I needed the dog to do. It's like you said, it's going to be a family dog first and then it's going to hunt. And he directed me into a different, different route with a different litter. And man, I'm glad he did because the dog I have now, I can't imagine, you know, not having Mackinac the way he is, you know, he's mm-hmm. like, he's just super chill with the kids He's awesome around the house. You know, he sleeps in bed with my wife or he sleeps under my cur- under my girl's bunk bed on a on a dog bed, you know, and then when it when it's go time, he's all business and he can get and he gets it gets it done great. And that wasn't the dog I grew up with. You know, the dogs I grew up with were like Warden. They were the yeah. ones that lived their whole life outside in a kennel and you didn't pet them or play with them or nothing. Right. And well, I and- and and how cool is it that, that that your breeder did you a huge service by telling you probably something that you didn't initially want to hear, right? I mean, if if you went there thinking, hey, this is the dog for me, and and he was able to redirect you to what ended up it sounds like being a much better you know life choice for you, that's a really cool thing, and that's one thing that I think people find very interesting of, of how we handle uh, the puppy side of our business. Um, so our puppy side of our business, man, it's like. It's crazy, you know, so like if you call us today and want to put your your name on a reservation list for a puppy, 
Yeah, you're talking a year and a half before you're going to get a puppy right now. Right. Our list just continues to grow. And and one of the reasons is, like, I, I really – I'm not going to be a, a, a puppy breeder just to breed puppies and, and get checks, right? Like, I'm trying to truly better the breed and put the best puppies in people's hands that I can. Um, and so I'm not going to, like, just increase litters just to cut down on the list. But what's neat about this is that when you put your name down with us – like my wife does uh, does a fantastic job of this and she handles a lot of the breeding side of the business but we specifically want to know what you know like if we don't know each other tell us about yourself tell us about your right. family tell us about what you have going on what are your priorities what are your and it's really funny how um a lot of people especially if they're like like I'm a I'm a major hunter I'm this this and that I need a great hunting dog when we really get deeper into the conversation and like the truths kind of start coming out. Cause you know, a lot of us guys, we have to have like that macho-ness to us, right? Like, <laughs> oh, like this, this has to be a great hunting dog. Well, then all of a sudden by the end of the conversation, you know, the truth is out that, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I hunt at, you know, the local game farm a half dozen times a year. I might take like one trip to North Dakota. The rest of the time he's going to be laying with my kids, you know, by the fireplace. Well, it really like for you to have the best customer experience with me, I need to know, you know the truth of what you're looking for so I can fit the best puppy with you. So then we fit you, you know, uh, uh, probably one of my most recognized dogs that I have is Brock. Um, Brock is you know, very accomplished. Uh, Sika just did a story about him. Like, yep. you know, everybody loves Brock. Um, and I love Brock. I mean, Brock is like, Brock is really, man, like he's that dog that I would put up against any dog you could find. I mean, he is that caliber. And I have a lot of great dogs, but but there is something extra, extra special about Brock. Um, but what I'll tell you is that Brock's puppies, they are, they're hot rods. I mean, they are. <laughs> like, so, so a lot of times people are like, I, I need a Brock puppy. I need a Brock puppy. And sometimes the conversation we have to have is, hey, like this might not be the best fit. And here's why. But I'm going to get you a great puppy. And they end up loving you know, their puppy. Sometimes it's just, you know, I have to be honest with you. Then we kind of take it a step further, right? So one thing that I think is really unique that we do is uh, you don't pick your puppy. You know, so a lot of times people are like, well, I have first pick, I have second pick, I have third pick. Um, one reason that I don't personally like that is I always feel like whoever has like the last pick or second to last pick, like almost like that's a worse puppy, right? Yeah, it's not the case. Feel like know? they got shorted or something, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's not the case. I mean, once, once you have the breedings, um, you know, like mom and dad and the lines you want everything else. I mean, a lot of what that puppy is, is going to be the situations you put that puppy in. Um, so it's not that you're getting work, uh, any less of a puppy, but inside that litter, there are going to be little tendencies that each one of those puppies come out with, right? Like one's going to be a little more dominant. One's going to be a little more docile. One's going to be more rambunctious, one, you know, whatever it is. Right. And the only person that can tell you the, what those true temperaments are is the person that is with them every single day so in, in our case it's my wife Whitney she is with those puppies all day long every day and so a quick little story on this um, we had uh, a, she's she's a friend of ours she's a great vet very prestigious vet actually from uh, University of Minnesota very accomplished um, she had she was getting a puppy from us and she specifically wanted to come out and do this aptitude testing on the litter. And she thought she had this formula to pick out like the best puppy for her. And so, because I was so interested, I'm like, you know, we don't do this, but yes, you can pick your puppy. I and, saw uh, the link for this on your, on your website, 
when I was checking everything out, I saw the link to that aptitude test, and I'd never seen that before. Yeah, well, and it's a cool thing. I mean, it really does kind of dial in like what you know what kind of each puppy is. But she had a very, um, a very, a kind of an interesting spin that she wanted to try to test on this. And so I like, I'm a nerd about this stuff, man. Like I, the dog stuff in general. Like if we're talking like genetics and and you know breedings and puppies and all, like I am like all in and geeking out. And so, um, so she wanted to come out and do this, and I'm like, absolutely, you can. And so she came out. It was like every thursday or every tuesday thursday i can't remember which now uh from like when the puppies were like three weeks on and she did this testing but she'd come out after she got done with work so it's probably like three o'clock so she goes through this whole thing and she specifically wanted a puppy she was not an outdoorsman um but she she wanted a puppy that she could be she could have as a service dog and that she could go into uh, specifically children's hospitals and have as like a therapy you know, type dog. So it had sure. to be like super laid back, super yep. quiet, super everything. Right. So she goes through all this stuff and it's getting to be where like she needs to make a decision because we have to let everybody else know, you know, who's <laughs> puppies they're getting. Um, and so, you know, this whole time she hasn't asked me anything and I have respectfully kept my distance kind of looking over her shoulder once in a while. And so finally uh, I actually pull into uh, to the kennel because we were training offside. I pull into the kennel, uh, park the truck. I'm going in the office and she's in the front yard with the puppies. And she's like, she's like, Josh, I'd like to get your opinion. And I like lit up. Cause I was like, Oh God, I've been waiting for you to ask me this. I'm so interested. <laughs> so so I, I get over there and she's like, all right, I have my findings. Uh, but I'd like your opinion on, on what this is. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, so tell me what you're finding. And she's like, well, you know, we, we put little colored collars on all the puppies so we can tell them all apart. And she's like, you know, I've done all this stuff. As you know, I need the most laid back dog I can. And uh, I think that is purple collar. Um, and I'm pretty, pretty confident everything that I've seen, you know, this is, this is the puppy I'm going to go with. And I'm like, yeah, and it's really interesting because purple collar is the most rambunctious puppy that's in this litter. She, he's by far the most dominant. And she's like, no, no, there's no way. And, you know, we kind of went back and forth and I was like, think about this. You've come over every single day at three o'clock. The only reason he seems like that to you is because every day he is so exhausted from beating up on his brothers and sisters all day. That, that, that he looks like this and like, you look like, it looked like a Mack truck hitter. She's like, oh my gosh, I didn't think about that. She came out the next morning and she was blown away. She's like, this is not the puppy I just watched for the last couple of weeks. And I'm like, you know, there, there's a lot to it. And so I, I like to tell that story because one, I, I think it is kind of funny, but two, um, you know, if, if you really want this, like there's a specific thing that you're looking for, you know, I truly believe that number one, you need to get the right breeding first and foremost, because that is what ultimately is going to give you, um, what you're looking for. But then if it comes down to specifics, as far as puppies go, I would really lean on the breeder, um, you know, because they're the only ones that can tell you really who has, you know, those different tendencies. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting that you say that, you know, that, that, that whole story, it's the same way when I was, when I was a teacher, when it was, it was the same way with kids, because I would see a kid in the morning and they'd be one way in the morning and at lunch, they'd be a little different. By the end of the day, they were a totally different animal, you know, totally, <laughs> totally different kid. And it, it was, and then you had a teacher that maybe didn't spend as much time with with that particular group of kids and they'd say, Oh, well, Johnny's, you know, so sweet or so this. And 
he's so relaxed and i'm like no you should see him first thing in the morning <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but that's that makes perfect sense and i think that's a solid point when you're picking out a puppy you should be asking your breeder's opinion you know and that was where with with mackinaw i was all ears and it was it was kind of like yeah man i don't know anything about these dogs i'm getting to walk in here and see them and get to play with them a little bit and i gotta pick one based on that and it's kind of like man i i don't know and he, he laid stuff out and he was kind of like yeah i think this is the litter you're looking for and he goes honestly you want a male honestly any of the males in this litter i think are going to be great and i was i was a little later i think there were there the first couple picks have been taken and it didn't really matter. I don't think you could have gone wrong with a single dog out of that litter. They were all great, but yeah, it's interesting how things have changed. I think we've had so many preconceived notions about, like you said, first pick versus last pick or pick of the litter and got to do this. And, and I think a lot of that is rooted in that old school mentality. Things are different. Things have changed and people's people, what they expect and what they want have changed. But those are interesting observations, man. And I, I think people listening to this podcast should be paying attention to that, to that advice, mm -hmm. because I think it's really sound. And I know it's definitely going to impact the way I pick puppies in the future. Definitely going to impact the way I tell people about how this is what they should be, you know, looking for in a puppy or how they should be going about getting a puppy. That's that's crazy. But you talk about all the I'm going to totally switch gears and take us hunting if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. For sure. <laughs> I never mind. I never mind. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and you get talking with dog guys. I love dogs. You obviously love dogs and you could talk dogs for days and and never get to the hunting aspect. But I mean, that's why, honest to goodness, that's one of the biggest reasons I own dogs or a, a, a lab is I like to hunt with him, you know, and. If I didn't have him, my hunting would probably look a lot different, to be real honest. It'd be a lot more big game hunting and a lot less bird hunting, more than likely, because it's just like, I don't, if I can't bird hunt with a dog, I'm not probably not going to bird hunt, you know, but <laughs> you, you, what do you guys got going on right now? I mean, you're, we're staring in the middle of the end of September in the face. Can't believe that. Where did that go? But you guys have early goose going on? Yep, so we've had uh, early goose going on. Uh, we had, uh, I do a yearly Kansas dove trip with some clients, which has actually rapidly turned into one of my favorite trips of the year. Um, I think it's just, it's so laid back. So for those of you who, who don't know me, I get a little into my waterfall hunting, like maybe a little <laughs> too intense. And uh, so it's just nice to switch gears and sit on a bucket and like, you know, you know, yell down to each other and give each other a hard time, you know, for, uh, for a shot they should have made and all this. I mean, it, it is, it is really, really fun. So I, I enjoy that. Uh, we have duck opener this weekend. So tomorrow. Okay. Um, okay. so we're, we're looking forward to that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just kind of that time of year now, you know, full disclosure, I, I don't get to hunt early season nearly as much as I would like to, um, simply because we're so busy at the kennel yet, but, uh, really, that's why I have uh, my duck camp down in Arkansas is that it, it was just too many years in a row, man, that, you know, I mean, our duck season comes out the week before Thanksgiving and right, right. we're usually busy at least up through, um, through November before the snow flies and we're usually slammed. And so <laughs> I, I'm here looking at all my dogs. I've got all of these 
awesome, great, fantastic dogs that don't ever get to hunt. And, and it sounds like, I mean, I, I know I'm complaining about like a really bad problem, right? I've got too many dogs here to hunt. And so I have to hunt more so I can hunt them all. Um, my wife kind of rolls my, you know, her eyes when, uh, when I talk about this, but it, it really is true. You know, so I have uh, specifically just waterfall wise, I have six dogs that I'm like, I need these dogs to get waterfall hunts under their belt. Right. And I mean, if I hunted, if I hunted for 60 days, and rotated evenly, they each only get to hunt 10 times a year, you know, right. and that's, that's kind of crazy, you know, to think about. Um, so I, I really try, I mean, you know, Arkansas for me, um, it, it just, it affords me the opportunity to get, you know, into a situation that I can hunt consistently have you know, at least, um, opportunities on hunts and get my dog's exposure. And, uh, and it gets me out of here in the, you know, December, January, the two months I do not want to be in Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> so it, it kills a lot of birds with one stone, but, um, but yeah, it, our, you know, when I get into, uh, into later in the season, you know, that, uh, end of November, December, January, um, you know, that's when I really kind of kick it off. You know, I'll be Arkansas a lot. I'll be in, you know, Montana, you know, with the sick of guys, um, I'll be in Oklahoma and Kansas. Uh, you know, I really start my traveling all over, uh, that later part of the year. Well, you know, the sick of guys aren't that far away from me. So when you get out there this year, you need to get, you need to give me a holler. <laughs> I will. I, I will do that. You know, we have, uh, we have such a good time, you know, with those guys and they have such a, a great group of people. Um, you know, we just had one of the guys, Thad was just out picking up his dog that was oh, cool. over the summer and, um yeah it's you know special companies man they just they have special people and yep. that's obviously what what makes that that skeleton up but um but they they definitely have a good group as do so many of these outdoor companies oh yeah absolutely i the Sitka guys obviously were we're very good partners with them and that was how i got hooked up to have you on the podcast was we did a hunt with jim Silvier um yeah. from Sitka last year and had a blast, you know, had, had never, never knew who he was and knew him, but never hunted with him. And, and one of those things and showed up, just had a great time. And it was kind of like, you know, we need to do this every year. We're only three hours apart, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so it's kind of like, you get up this way, holler, we'll make something happen. We'll meet up someplace and, and, uh, that, man. and, and hang out. But I hear you about those short seasons where you guys are, you know, growing up where I did it's same thing. Those duck seasons wouldn't come in until right now. And then by by Thanksgiving, if you could find open water, most of your ducks were gone before season closed anyway, it seemed like. But man, uh, man alive. I remember that. I remember those days. But do you do do you do much upland stuff there? I mean, I know you're busy, but you probably got some rough grouse and woodcock hunting right in your backyard. Yeah, you know, uh, we do. I will say my wife is definitely more the upland fanatic, uh, where I am the uh, the waterfall nut. But um, but we do. You know, we we really enjoy. That's one of the really cool things about uh, our relationship is we get to spend a lot of time in the field together. And uh, my wife is incredibly incredibly competitive. And so whether it's shooting, whether it's I mean, you know, what have you? I mean, she's very very competitive. So when we started. Um, you know, this show, you had noticed her whitetail that I had over my shoulder. Yeah, it is a great, it's a great deer. I mean, I can't exact remember exactly what it scores, like 168 or something like that. And, uh, you know, great deer. And she, that was her first whitetail that she ever killed. And a lot of times people will be like, yeah, a lot of times people are like, oh, well that, that's lucky. That's well, Whitney hunted 
for seven years before she drew back on a deer. And it wasn't ah. a lack of opportunity. It was just that she had it in her head that she was only going to kill a mature deer. And, and I like that. I had so much respect for her for doing that. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, she was rewarded, you know, rightly for it. Um, but then this year, this last year, I should say, uh, I killed my best uh, deer. You know, we only archery hunt, but um, I killed my best deer, which was uh, 190 and seven eighths. And so it was funny because. That's a tank. She, oh, oh man, yeah, he was an absolute, absolute toad. Um, but she was adamant, my deer is not to be in the same room as her deer is. And so her deer is in our living room. And my deer is tucked downstairs in the man cave where nobody goes <laughs> because she did not want that deer anywhere near hers. Um, oh, but we, we <laughs> but we really, man, we we love our time in the field together. And she, uh, you know, she comes down and spends time in the blind with me um, in Arkansas, and we try to get out um, as much as we can up here, upland hunting, just because that's what she loves. It's really fun, man. Oh, that's that is cool. That is cool. Yeah, that's. Like I said, we just had a we just had a baby boy on the thirteenth, and we're loading everybody up to go hunt uh, sage grouse tomorrow. And one of the reasons we're doing that is because my wife, we, she didn't draw any tags this year. But on the other hand, she's like, I don't want to wait to hunt until November to hunt, you know, to hunt general deer and get some waterfall hunts in. I want to go out. I want I want to get out. I said, well, let's let's go do it an upland day you know we can mm-hmm. hit the hit the sagebrush flats and end up up in the mountains and see if we can kill a couple different kinds of grouse in the same day you know that's and awesome. she's she's all about it you know she's all about it she loves that stuff i can totally relate on the wife thing because <laughs> my wife the reason you, one of the reasons you and i are sitting here having this conversation has to do with my wife's picky competitive streak because I was a school teacher, man, and I was very happy doing that. And all then my wife draws an elk tag, her first her first elk, and she's like, I'm gonna I wanna shoot my first bull has gotta be, you know, a three thirty or better. And that's like a one sixty one tail, you know. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, Okay, that's a mature animal. Yeah, we can we can do that, but it's that's no that's no slouch, you know, we're gonna have to work for that. She was adamant. I mean, she would have, she drew a really good tag, but she would have eaten that tag mm-hmm. if she wouldn't have found the right bowl. She passed up eight bowls the first day of season, two of which I'm like, you're crazy. You're crazy <laughs> for passing that bowl up. She's like, I know, but that's not, it's not what I'm looking for. It's not what I'm looking for. Well, we finally find one like the second week of season. She looks at it, one look through the spotter, and she goes, that's the bowl I want. I said, okay you realize how far away he is and what a brutal, <laughs> what a brutal stock and pack out this is going to be if you kill him. Yep. That's the bull I want. Took us two days to get that bull out of the Hills after she shot him, but he, <laughs> but he met her criteria and lo and behold, I just on a whim submitted him to Eastman's hunting journals, the magazine, and he got published. Really? And that was how I started working for Eastman's. I started as a part-time proofreader for the magazine because of that bowl i got a phone call from the editor at the time and he's like hey you're local you got any interest in doing this this and this and i went yeah well now here we are all these years later and i'm the editor of the magazine and and i get to do the wingman thing on as part of the job too it's it's so yeah 
That's so cool, man. Well, and what I, what I love about that is that there's a level of the journey when you're on, you know, hunt like that. And when you have that as a mindset and goal, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, mature animal like that, or, um, when you have these goals, it's really interesting. So, uh, Whitney and I, um, we both spent time up in the Canadian Rocky mountains, uh, chasing moose. And it was the same thing. Well, what ended up happening is we had more fun with the small bull encounters or with just the journey than if we were just so, hell bent and we need to kill something right and uh I, I just think that's a really special thing i think that that's really cool um and I, I i can tell you from kind of you know shifting back to you know waterfall now um i have definitely gone through that that peak and valley uh as i think a lot of us do um where like when i was young man like when i was in high school like i had to stack green heads up like i was mad at him like it was like <laughs> I, I, I if i didn't limit i was not happy and then um you know and then you kind of get to the point that hey like i want to do this but i want to do this a little more for the dog right like i appreciate this a little more and now like i'm to the point man like i am when i'm in arkansas specifically if i have guys that have never been in the woods before like i'm trying to convince them hey let the first few groups do it. Like, just put the gun away and enjoy this show because just this is something watch. that some people, yeah, man. Like, it's like it's <coughs> special, and and sometimes you need to put the gun away and you know let your, let your trigger finger not be itchy to appreciate it. And I know that's a funny thing to say, but yeah, I think when you get to that point, like that's where I'm at right now um, in my journey uh, as an outdoorsman. And I can tell you that I appreciate so many more of the little things that I overlooked or took for granted before. Um, and it's really a cool thing. No, you're, man, that is so cool. You're, you're so right. I'm, I'm kind of there with you. I still get mad at him from time to time. Don't get me wrong. I like <laughs> those heavy straps are nice, but I no, I'm with you. We had a, we had a hunt last year that it was one of those deals. You, you knew very quickly that you weren't, that getting birds wasn't going to be a problem. And so there was no urgency to it. It was kind of like, yeah, let's. And so we really kind of sorted through and we let some of those really big groups, let them do their thing, let them finish and then let them fly off. Mm -hmm. And we just concentrated on killing, you know, the doubles, singles, small groups, because we weren't, we didn't want to shoot into those great big groups of birds. It was a dry land mallard hunt late in the year. And, we didn't want to blow up those great big groups of birds. And so, man, you just lay in there underneath a 2000 bird tornado and listening to it and taking it all in is just, I'm with you. That's as much a part of it for me anymore as swatting limits. No, sure. no doubt. No doubt. And like I said, there's, there's definitely the days when it's like, all right, we're going to get them. And, and that's, that's what I want to do. But yeah. And you know, the dog thing, I don't know about you, but, Man, if I can't have the dog there with me, it's almost kind of like, and just you just loses somebody's dog. It doesn't have to be my dog. As long as there's a dog there, you know, doing work, I'm like, yeah, cool. Just watch the dog. I'm happy with that. Yeah, man, yeah, that that's a big part of it. I think I hear that more and more all the time, um, whether it's from clients or yeah, I do a lot of speaking engagements at at shows. Well, not not this year, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, right. Uh, most years, most years I do a lot. Um, but man. I, I hear more and more that that comment, you know, like if if I didn't have a dog, I wouldn't even really care to do it. And as we look at, you know, like the outdoor numbers and, you know, conservationally, you know, how we have to you know, get the next generation into it and all that stuff, like 
you know, I know I'm biased, but I really think that the dog should be playing a role in this. And and we should be focusing on, on you know, whether it's dog content or dog, you know, what have you. But I can tell you from, from my audience anyway, it is unbelievable. I mean, to, for somebody to say, like, you know, like, <coughs> you know, to say, you know, I really don't even care to be there if there's not a dog there. Like, that, that's pretty impactful, right? And it just kind of shows the level of, of importance that our four-legged hunting partners have with us. I mean, they are as much about, you know, they're much a part of the hunt as they are really the hunt for so many people. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a huge deal. That's, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you've got a, a solid idea there. And I think that is something that, you know, we, all of us, the dog guys in the, in the world ought to be thinking about how can we leverage our dogs to get people involved. You know, I know that's one of the things here. My dog comes into the office. He doesn't, we're not a, we're not a, not a dog office, but we're not dog unfriendly either, but our dogs definitely, I mean, they're, they're welcome to come in once in a while, but he, bring, he he comes in the office and it's like he's just spreading joy like flowers around the office. Mm-hmm. You know, just everybody's happy to see him. Everybody's everybody's you know, oh Mac and I so you know so nice to be here. And he'd he just soon lay under my designer's desk across the office as he would lay under mine. You know, and it's, <laughs> it's kind of like whatever. But I think I think you're onto something with that where we could reach people. I know we could reach people with through the dog ass side of things that we wouldn't reach otherwise you know when you get them involved and and uh they they may not have much of an interest in the hunting part of it but you get the dog out there and get the dog involved and they're like oh wow Mm -hmm. you know and i've had conversations with people you know that want to that want to tell me that i'm cruel because i'm making my dog go out and into these conditions and i'm making my dog hunt and i'm making my dog do this and that and i said you need to come with me sometime and watch this i'm not making him do anything <laughs> if he could drive he'd be out there on his own <laughs> right <laughs> you know i mean seriously he'd be doing it he'd be doing it anyway he'd be dragging me out of bed which she does anyway you know during the season if if I even stir anywhere between the hours of three and five, he's like, dad, what are we doing? You know, right, right next to the bed. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And I, I think to myself, if, if those folks could see that, could see that passion, that drive, that purpose, that that's what this animal is made to do. And it is a work of art when they do it, when they do it well. And it's, ah, man, I, I don't know. I love it. I absolutely love it. But Nothing what do you better. got? Other than Arkansas Ducks and your Kansas Doves, what do you got on the docket? I mean, I know you're going to be busy for the next few few weeks here, but what do you got coming up? Well, uh, I'm going to be really busy in the next few weeks because I am two weeks away from uh, my baby boy. Oh, um, good for <laughs> so, you. Yeah, man, we are, we are just stoked. It is so fun. So I have uh, a one-and-a-half-year-old daughter that I absolutely adore. Um, and I mean, I, I one and a half, what's so fun is, you know, she is kind of, um, I mean, she's just grown up in the dog world, right? I mean, it's, just, it's our life and, and she's kind of been you know, thrust into it, but she, uh, she adores puppies up until eh, about four and a half, five weeks old, because then they get big enough that they're like trying to climb on her and, yep, jump yep. On her. and she, so she's like, ah, so she loves the little puppies. Um, and then the old dogs, right? So, like, we have uh, down at our house, um, like I said, we have eight of our own personal dogs, and she loves Brock, 
and she loves Bud. And the problem is that now, you know, every yellow dog that we have, she now yells Brock to. And every black dog we have, she yells Bud to. And yep. so they're all just they're all just uh, the same at this point. But um, but it, it's it's really fun. It's it is incredible how much they pick up at a young age. We just had people out looking at you know playing with puppies and all that kind of stuff. And um, they were done. They start you know picking the puppies up from the front yard to bring them in the pen. And here's you know Ava, a year and a half old, and she has one wrapped up in in her arms, like carrying one back in, like. Now I had to grab that puppy from her because the way that she was holding it, I didn't want yeah to right. drop it. But it is kind of fun, man. So I can't wait you know, to have uh, you know now the little boy involved, and um, we can kind of start you know our family journey as we um, you know, kind of go through and uh, you know make them little outdoors men and women. It's gonna be really fun. So there's nothing better. I, I'll, I'll be real honest with you. There's nothing better. I've got five year old, three year old, and a what is he? Two weeks now, and it's it's like. Dad, if you'd have told me when I all, all those years ago when I was single and hunting all over the place and doing whatever I wanted <clears throat> that I'd feel this way about having kids, I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't I don't know. But yeah. Yeah, man, changes your world. That is for sure. And yeah, my my 5-year-old want to go hunting? Yep. Where what do you want to hunt? I don't care. Let's go. You know, whatever. <laughs> she is down for whatever. We're we're actually working on a video we shot last year to be uh, on the YouTube channel here. Uh, probably next month, I think it'll drop sometime. And it's going to be, we did a father, daughter, and one father, son, but basically father and kid hunt, uh, goose hunt last year. And it was late, late season, but we had some, this day that just, we had a string of days where it was like 60 every day. And it was like, this is perfect. It'll be a chilly in the morning, but then it's going to get warm. Be perfect. And we had uh, the young man there was shot his first goose that morning, but all the girls were four years old. They're all four years old. And that blind was full of pink and purple and turquoise. And they were playing freeze tag. And dude, it was awesome. It was the best hunt of the year. And it was kind of like, we got our birds. You know, we, we ended up, I think we had six guys and we didn't fill out a full limit, but it didn't matter. We got to the point in the day where it's like, man, we've shot a bunch of geese and this has been an absolute riot and the best, it was the best hunt of the year. So I'm really excited to let, to drop that video. So you'll have to check that out and see what you're headed for. <laughs> for sure, man. No, for sure. It sounds like a blast. That's awesome. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool. And yeah, so no, good for you. Good for you. But well, Josh, this has been an awesome podcast. I really enjoyed sitting down and, and chatting with you. And I look forward to doing more in the future. Uh, I, this is going to be great. Um, I got one one more question to ask you, and then I'll let you go back to doing what you need to do. But if you could only hunt one bird one way for the rest of your life, what's it going to be? Uh, mallards in the woods. No question. Mallards in the woods. So like real flooded timber in Arkansas. Yes. Yeah. I, I fell in love with that. And, and I'll tell you for me, um, it, it, to me, it's like, I'm a big archery hunter. Um, uh, I really have very little to no interest in, in rifle hunting. Um, I'm not against it. I just, it just doesn't trip my trigger like sure. archery hunting does. And I believe sure. that the reason that I, I'm that way 
is I love getting close to these animals. I love seeing them do things that I wouldn't be able to see them do at such a long distance. And I felt that same way the first time I saw a mallard come through the trees and do the dance and, you know, get right in your face. And it's like, I'm watching this bird move his head, you know, to look, you know, where he wants to sit down and the way that he's moving his body. And, uh, man, like I just, I'm absolutely enchanted watching that, yeah, that whole deal. And so, um, that without a question, like I don't have to think twice about it. That's what it is. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So far on everybody that I've had on, that has been the most popular answer. <laughs> really? Oh yeah. <laughs> hands down, hands down. There's and I had, reason. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I had, uh, Wade Shoemaker tell me, he's like, and it, it can't just be trees and water, man. It's gotta be like, and he's. <laughs> He's literally like going into exactly what flooded timber is. And I just laugh because I'm like, <laughs> yeah, the rest of that's just brush. It's just brush with water in it. And I'm just laughing. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you're describing what I grew up hunting, like beaver ponds and stuff, you know, but uh, it's so funny. Oh, that is cool. But Josh, thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. And looking forward to talking to you again and, Maybe the end of the season, we get together and have a chat. And if you get out this way, we'll get some blind time. You bet, my man. Anytime. You guys have a, an awesome, awesome season. And uh, I look forward to uh, chatting with you guys again. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it.